What a special time this is for us to gather this afternoon. I'm so accustomed to it being nighttime that even in my notes I had to scratch out tonight and put today, you know, and, and on the bulletin I had to, this is the second week in a row I made a mistake with 6 instead of 2.30 or 2.15. So, yeah, sometimes we get stuck with tradition, stuck in tradition. I don't want this just to be a tradition for us. I want us to commune with our beloved tonight. And I know our beloved wants to commune with us. You know, the relationship that the church has with Christ is a relationship, it's not just ideas. Not things we debate about and either agree or disagree over. It is a relationship. And it's expressed by God in terms of a bride and a bridegroom. Right? Now, there are other ways in which we are, the Bible uses a number of different symbols and expressions types to cause our minds to enter into what we really are in Christ and the relationship that we have together and and with Him. But a bride and bridegroom is one of those intimate, intimate ways in which we are to view our relationship with Christ. You know, when... When God created Adam, He didn't create Adam wondering what was coming. He created Adam knowing exactly what was coming. He created the first Adam knowing that there would be a second Adam. He created the first man knowing there would be a last man. Or is it the other way around? First Adam, last Adam, first uh, first man, second, second man. In other words, He created. And when He put a man and woman together, He did so by design. And it wasn't just about populating the earth. It wasn't just about the physical realities. There was, a, there was an eternal reality. There was a spiritual message that was included in that. And the Apostle Paul understood that. Of course, he understood it by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his own mind and heart and led him to write on a couple of different occasions about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, about that union, about that intimacy and the language that he uses. And he, and he quotes Genesis, the, uh, the two, he says, shall become one flesh. He talks, uses that language there in 1 Corinthians 6. And of course, you know, the more common one that is known among us is Ephesians chapter 5. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
And so, as you know, that there are there are depths of intimacy that are unique to a marriage relationship. There are things that you understand about one another that no one else knows. You have insights into one another and you're drawn to one another in a way and to a degree that is unique from all others. And there's language that you use in relationship to one another that probably wouldn't even make sense to other people. You know, why did you call her that? Why did you call him that? Why did you say that? And, and it's code language. You understand it, husband and wife, because it's something you've developed together. And others can mimic the language that you use. But they can't understand with intimacy what you understand. That moves you to be satisfied with your spouse like. Like you are with no other. And you know, you you find this kind of language, don't you, in the scriptures. Between the bride and the bridegroom. In the Song of Solomon. And I want to go there and just read from the first couple of chapters. This is a song of songs, it says, which is Solomon's. Solomon wrote other songs. But he says this is the song of songs. There's something probably more emphatic there than maybe we realize. This is distinct. There's something about the Song of Solomon that is unique. There is something being expressed in the Song of Solomon that is not, not just simply a relationship between a bride and a bridegroom or a husband and wife and wife and husband. In other words, if all you do is go to the Song of Solomon and be excited in your fleshly lusts, or passions. Or even if you go to the Song of Solomon to sort of guide you as to what is acceptable and not acceptable in a marriage relationship, that's all that you see, you're falling short. If that's all you see in marriage, that's all you're falling short. And I'm not saying that you can't go to the Song of Solomon and, and find encouragement as a husband and wife as to how, how to relate and interact with one another. There's extremely intimate language that's found throughout this Song, but it's the song of songs. And so there's something more that's being revealed. And, you know, earlier this week, it was like. I need to hear you tell me you love me. And lo and behold, I was in the song of Solomon. And I read it as more than just a, a song. All of a sudden, it began to become a song of songs to me. And I'd like for it to be that to you, and not so much tonight. I, I, you know, in some ways, I think this is one of those places in Scripture that requires that you get alone. And that it allows you to be able to Enter in, in the privacy of your own soul, 
to be able to engage with the beloved. But I, I hope that maybe there will be at least a little bit of that tonight. And I, I will be the first to admit that that I I am not good at interpreting poetry. And there are things in here that I don't know what it means. And my purpose tonight is not to try to unlock every phrase and, and try to find out what every expression means. But my goal tonight is just simply to read a portion of this song in hopes that that we might actually get the sense that we are engaging with our beloved. As an individual believer or, or as the church collectively. That we are expressing ourselves in the way that the Shunammite does to her beloved. And, and that we might hear the beloved speaking to the Shunammite and actually hear Our beloved Savior and King, our King, a greater than Solomon, speaking to us. And really only those who know the beloved intimately can appreciate the expressions of a deeply intimate level. And... Sometimes we might even cringe at some of the things we read here in the Song of Solomon. But if you can look past the physical and the fleshly, and if you can, and if you can look at it as the expressions of that deep intimacy that no one else really knows but, but you and I, who are really in a relationship with Christ, who have the Spirit of Christ in us. And so that we say things and we hear things and we know things and we see things about our beloved that that others don't see. There's an appreciation that we have. So that others like those called the daughters of Jerusalem. Say, what is your beloved in chapter five or nine? What is your beloved? More than any other beloved, oh, oh, fairest among women, they, they could see that to him. She was the fairest among women. They could see that. But what is your beloved more than any other beloved that you so charge us? That the church that is brought into union with Christ by the Spirit hears the voice of our beloved. And as I have already intimated, I, my goal isn't to read here and attempt to explain details, though I'll perhaps suggest a few things along the way. But I really want us to hear the general relationship that's expressed so that we might find these relationship, these expressions of relationship becoming our expressions and our relationship to our beloved and hear Him expressing Himself in this way to us. Especially as we gather around the table where the King is with us, where the beloved is with us. In verses two through seven, the bride expresses herself to her beloved. Of course, we're aware that Solomon had many wives, 
And so sometimes when we think about those things, it's difficult for us to actually separate all the details we know about Solomon from the things we may read in this song. But there is the sense, at least it seemed to me as I read these first seven verses, that she, the bride, feels at least that she's competing for his affection. And of course, we know that there's no need for that feeling in our relationship to Jesus, except for the fact that sometimes our sin and our coldness and our unbelief may affect us in such a way that we do feel like we are competing for his affection. And so she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. The secret place. The place of greatest intimacy. The place where things are expressed that are expressed nowhere else. In such a way that they're expressed to no one else. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. She says rightly, do they love you? It's as if they are wanting what she has. And that's why I suggested the possibility of this feeling that she has of competition. And she even acknowledges her faults and at least her feelings of unworthiness. I'm dark, but lovely. It's like, I know that. I know the fact. I know. And if, we have, if we're His, we know. We know the theology. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me because I'm dark. Because the sun is tan me, I, I know. I know what's 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 true, but this is the way I feel, and this because this is this is the place from which I've been delivered. My mother's sons were angry with me; they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, oh you whom I love, where you feed your flock? Where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? She wants to be with him. She seems to be lost. Not knowing where to find him. And by the way, this is a repeated theme in the Song of Solomon. But oh, what a response from the beloved in verse 8. If you do not know, 
O dark tan daughter of mine. No, no. If you do not know, O fairest among women. Follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. He sees her very differently than she sees herself. I have compared you, my love. To my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. Those were incredibly deep compliments. He describes her in endearing terms. He loves her. He loves us. Bride, church, believer, He loves you. And here the back and forth of the bride and her beloved, beginning in verse 12. She says, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night betwixt my breast. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Oh, isn't that true in Christ? is in our midst. When Christ comes to you in the secret place, when Christ is in our midst as we gather together, when Christ is standing in our midst at the table, there is a sweet aroma. There is a fragrance of gospel realities. They're not just cold, hard doctrines, but expressions of Him. Who He is and the glories of what He's done and His relationship to us. He responds, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Women, do you get tired of your husband saying, you're beautiful? Or do you even hear your husband say that? Language of intimacy. It feels good, doesn't it? Our Savior, our beloved, says that. You're beautiful. You're fair, my love. Oh, you didn't hear it? Let me say it again. Behold. Behold. Isn't that amazing? Behold. Yeah, but I know what I am. I know. No. No. I know all about you. I know all about you. Behold, you're beautiful. You have dove's eyes. She says... In response, and you're beautiful too. Behold, you are handsome as the new King James. You are fair, my beloved. 
There's that reciprocal. You hear a relationship here. Did you know that your beloved need, he needs, he likes to hear you say, he likes to hear you. When's the last time you said to him, you are beautiful? My beloved, do you even see him that way? Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The idea of fruitfulness about it. Freshness about it. There's not a, this isn't just old hat. There's an enjoyment. And the beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And, and there's debate over who actually makes that statement. And I don't know, maybe both do. And certainly in Christ, we are the rose. He is the rose and we are the rose in Him. And, and He picks us out of the valley and we are the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And we know that verse 2 is the expression of the Beloved toward us. Like a lily among thorns. He sees us separate from the world. Yeah, He sees the thorns too. But to you, you're not like the thorns. You're like a lily among the thorns. So is my love among the daughters. She says... Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so was my beloved among the sons. I, I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his, his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Can we at this moment look up and behold the banner over us? Robert Hawker says, by the way, I would encourage you to read Robert Hawker's commentary on Song of Solomon. If your soul is not encouraged in your relationship to the Beloved and His with you, I don't know what else would encourage you. He goes on to say, if so, if you... If you do see his banner over us, he says, we may and must indeed read his love in letters of blood, for so hath Jesus marked his love to all his redeemed. And by the way, we march under that banner, as he'll go on, Solomon goes on to say in this song. She says, sustain me. With cakes of raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. I'm overcome. Support me. I am overwhelmed. His left hand is under my head. And his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Leave me alone. Don't disturb me.
Isn't that how you feel when you're engaging with your beloved in those moments of deep intimacy where the relationship is being experienced at such a level and then there's some sort of interruption that tries to break into that intimacy? And you say, no, no, leave us alone, leave us alone. Don't stir up, don't stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking, gazing. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. And you may have difficulty seeing him, but he sees you. And she knows this. The, the, the bride, the bride knows. She senses. And then she says, my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one. And come away. For lo, the winter is past. There is this scene of darkness and dreariness and dullness. And we can all relate to that, can't we, in our own spirit. But her beloved speaks. And she hears him. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove. This is what he says to us. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Look at me. Look at me. I am your beloved. I am looking at you. Look at me. Let me hear your voice. Speak to me. For your voice is sweet. Isn't that amazing? This isn't his to you. Yours to him. Your voice is sweet. And your face is lovely. Oh, that our hearts would be fixed upon our beloved in such a way so that such expressions of affection. I used to hear, I've probably told you this before, but I used to hear a brother who's now with the Lord. He's now enjoying. He's now enjoying what he was enjoying here on this earth, no doubt in an, in an interrupted way. But he would use that language. He would say, I'm lovesick. And I used to hear that and think, I don't know what you're talking about. It sounds weird. 
sounds too feminine. We are the bride. And these expressions of affection, rather than turning us off, oh, that our relationship with our beloved were such that it wouldn't sound so strange. And that our communion with Him would be so deep and intimate that we wouldn't want it to end. And when it is interrupted, that our soul, when our soul is, is in a time of winter dullness, that we would hear His affectionate voice through His Word and, and we would respond in ways that please Him. What are those ways? Well, we read it in verse 14. How about, oh, I love you. You are my beloved. You are so fair. I, I don't see you as clearly as I want to see you. Would you show more of yourself to me? But I'm looking... And be encouraged that your voice is actually sweet to Him. Our God delights in our response of love to His expressions of love. And you know, I believe that our monthly communion service is a time that we should anticipate a fresh stirring in our souls as the Spirit aids us to hear and see our Beloved by faith. I know for myself I'm disappointed when I gather with you and there's some sort of something going on in me that restricts me and keeps me and whatever that is. And I'm not able to enter in and and, and I don't find it a delight. I don't find Christ a delight. I eat the bread and drink the cup because that's what we do. But he's not my beloved. Oh, he is. He is. But I'm not stirred. The language of redemption that we often speak of on because we are remembering him in his death, we're remembering him and what he has done, but that language of redemption should not be the language of cold concepts. But remind reminders to us of the great infinite. Depths, length, height, breadth of our God who is for us in His love, unworthy in ourselves, but made beautiful by the new creation work of our life-giving Savior. We've been washed and we've been robed and we bear the ornaments of His gracious gifts. So so no, no matter what our past may be, He doesn't see us that way. Today, today it is through the words of Solomon, and I would encourage you to seek to muse upon the language of Solomon in your own private time, even on a regular basis, to stir up and encourage 
that affectionate relationship with your beloved. And to be able to see and to receive the language of this song as his language to you, as his words to you. But today, as we come to this table, it's as if we are being brought into the chambers of our beloved. We're united with him that we might commune with him. May our beloved Savior, by his spirit, speak to our hearts in a fresh way. I need that. And may we respond with receptive hearts. May he come to us with the intimate expressions of redemptive love that stirs our hearts and woos us. We need time like this to come away from the burdens and stresses of life. I don't know what it's like for you. But it seems just about every week I spend perhaps too much of my time in the in the arena of tensions over so many different things. Analyzing this and analyzing that, trying to figure this out, trying to figure that out. And then there's the weariness of the struggle against our flesh, the world, and the devil. And we can get so caught up with that that we just simply get worn down. We need to come into the chamber of our beloved. That's why when I read earlier this week in my musings upon Song of Solomon and, and, and the bride said, draw me away. It just broke me down. It just bro- not in a bad way. But that was my cry. Draw me away. I just want to be with you. I just want to know your. I don't want to know about. I have spent so much of my energy about. And some of you have as well. Let us not come short of receiving and engaging. And truly knowing. Draw me away into your chamber that I might receive of the sweetness of your everlasting love. And in these elements tonight, that's exactly what we see. We see his banner over us. His his banner is redeeming love. And that's what we see. We need to know His nearness. We need to remember what He thinks of us. As we remember Him and our union with Him, joined together as a bride with her bridegroom. And remember as we partake individually, that we are partaking as one body, by one Spirit, We're joined together. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. 
I don't know that we can really that we really have or do appreciate or even really fully understand what is being said. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So also is Christ. So we collectively are communing intimately with Christ our beloved. A mystery. Indeed, it is a mystery. There are hidden things there. But I don't think hidden not to be revealed. A reality that we should that should have a deep effect upon us as we join together and as the Spirit opens up our minds and our hearts to understand more fully. So as we take the bread and cup tonight, enter in to the chambers of our Beloved. Joining together as one body in communion with Him. And let us receive together the communication of His love to us today.